Matthew 5, verse 12. 5, verse 12. Um, we're going to be all over the place. That's where we'll start. We'll be there for a few minutes. We'll find that. says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, and for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. That's a good, that's a good one. Uh, let's pray again. Um, before we go any further, this one might step on our toes a bit. It's been a couple weeks, so we've done that, so pray that we would receive it. Jesus, we thank you God, for your presence that's here, for your word. I pray, God, that you would speak to us. God, I pray that you would minister and move in our, our lives. In Jesus' name, God, let your will be done, I pray. In the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Matthew 5 and 12 says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And um, So we started this little series uh, on lessons that Jesus taught a couple weeks ago. Um, he said if you condense his lessons, the repeats, the similar subject matter, there's around 50 or so lessons uh, that he left with his disciples that have been recorded in the gospel, at least 50 or so that we will try to focus on. I don't know. If we're going to go 50 in a row, but, uh, this is the fourth one. They're still coming, so that's good. Uh, well, Jesus had three and a half years or so with his disciples physically, uh, and these were the things that he wanted to make sure that his disciples understood. And so it stands to reason that if we want to be uh, his disciples as well, then these are the lessons that we need to learn. So the first one we studied I don't know if I'm going to keep listing them off as we get deeper into this, but we're not too far. So the first one we talked about was, do you remember? Anyone? Repent. Repent. Yes. Woo! Second one was, don't worry. Don't let your heart be troubled. And last week, um, follow me. I'll make you fishers men. That sort of thing. And uh, if you didn't learn anything, hopefully you learned about how they fish in West Africa. I should have said they did that in Ghana as well. I didn't see them do it, but when we um, went to the, I taught a little seminar um, about unity, and I, I brought up fishing, how they did it in Benin, and I hoped that they did the same thing there, and they did, so the lesson made sense to them. So I had to work together to fish and bring in the harvest, that sort of thing. So that was good. So I learned that they do it the same way there. So anyway, so the lesson that Jesus taught that we're going to focus on today. It's another one from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, and um, this one might be a little bit rough, but this is one lesson that we know that the disciples really got a hold of, maybe one that we haven't, um, which is why it could be a little rough, but we'll see at the end that they really, they really grabbed this. Um, right at the beginning of his ministry, when he called his disciples, Jesus takes them up to a mountain and starts to teach them in. He kind of, right from the beginning, he kind of sets some, some ground rules and shows that following him is going to be a little bit different 
than following any other teacher that they've seen. And um, so he's, he's telling them things like, you know, love your enemies and all that sort of thing. And it's just completely different than what anyone else has taught. And he goes through the Beatitudes, you know, the blessed, blessed, blessed are, blessed. I don't know why we say blessed. Blessed are these people who you normally wouldn't count as blessed. And he brings this one out at the very end. That was a rough introduction, and now we'll get to it. He brings this one at the end. Matthew 5, again, 11 and 12, it says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil false against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So our lesson we're going to learn tonight is rejoice. It's our proper response. And so to Jesus' disciples, he says, you are blessed when people hate you. He says, you are blessed when uh, people persecute you. You are blessed when people um, speak all manner of evil against you or people make up stories about you. Thank God. <laughs> A lot of people stop there in the verse. They're like, oh, well. People are saying stuff about me. I must be doing something right. People don't like me. Oh, I'm blessed. Or people are talking about me. That's good. That means I'm a disciple of Jesus. They don't do the Popeye thing, I guess. People are persecuting me. I must be doing something right. And some people take all these, this little list of three things, and they take it as a confirmation that they're doing something right. And then we kind of skip over the last three words of verse 11. For my sake, <laughs> we just think, well, people are against me, so obviously I'm, I'm right. Jesus is for me because people are against me, right? You know, some people, I don't know how to say this politely, some people are just jerks. Some people are rude. Some people go out of their ways to do things to get people talking about them. So just because that's happening doesn't mean that you're doing something right. And even preachers and pastors do this too. There's pastors who do things unethically, try to take people from another church and add them theirs and call it revival, but when anyone says anything, well, it means I'm doing something right. If you're going to talk about me, you're going to get upset with me. It means I'm doing something right. That's what Jesus said it would happen. No, you're just being unethical. Or, and God doesn't bless that. Or you heard the whole, my boss is, my boss is really persecuting me at the job. It's because I'm a Christian. Or perhaps, hear me out, maybe you're not a good worker. Maybe it's because you have a bad attitude. You show up late, call them sick, or you have a poor work, work ethic. Because sometimes... That's the case. <laughs> or people hate me because I, I just speak the truth, which is Christianese for being rude, I find. <laughs> or just tell it like it is. No, you don't. You just say rude things to people. You never say nice things. People that tell it like it is never say nice things. That's an Anne. I got that from her. <laughs> Somewhere along the way, we kind of twisted this verse 
to give us a free pass to be rude or unethical or downright mean. And if people say anything about it or against us, well, you're just persecuting me because that's what Jesus said would happen. Right? But Jesus takes this little thing at the end. He says, for my sake. So if we are persecuted for preaching the gospel, not your opinion or a conspiracy theory or the latest thing on the internet, for preaching the gospel, for preaching the word of God, then we're blessed. If you're persecuted for that, not for doing the wrong thing. If people are talking about you in town because there's been a change in your life, or maybe you used to be an alcoholic, for example, and now you're, you're not by the power of God, and people are talking about you for that reason, something like that, then you're blessed. Or if people start rumors because you started going to church, then you're blessed. If people hate you because you started following Jesus, then you're blessed, not because of what all the other things that we like to say. If people are upset because you've stepped out in faith, then you're blessed. For my sake, he says. Sometimes we just use our bad personalities and attitudes and say, well, it's fine because Jesus said people wouldn't like me. And really, that's not the reason why. Is that okay? You know? Okay, my face feels red. But that's not the lesson for tonight. That might be another one we'll see later on. But our lesson is what is our response when this happens? What is our response when people hate us? What is our response when people persecute us? What is our response when people talk about us because of Jesus? You know, they do it because you're being foolish, then maybe just stop being foolish and they'll stop talking. You know, that's an easy thing to do. Not nearly, but... That's the response to that. But if someone's doing this because you're doing the right thing, what should our response be? Jesus says in verse 12, we've read a couple times already, he says, rejoice and be exceeding glad. Rejoice. So rejoicing is our response to hate. Rejoicing should be our response to gossip. Rejoicing should be our response to persecution. And that sounds, that sounds crazy. That sounds wild. That, you know, it's like most of Jesus is teaching. It's the opposite of what we think it would be. It is and was revolutionary because our natural response is to fight back. Our natural response is to defend ourselves. If someone starts saying something about us, we gotta set the record straight. I gotta speak my mind. I gotta say my piece. Right? We gotta throw words back. We gotta defend ourselves. But yet Jesus says, don't do that. Instead, Rejoice, which means in the Greek, it means to delight in God's grace. Rejoice, literally to experience God's grace or favor and be conscious and glad for his grace. That's what that means. Someone lies about you because for Jesus' namesake, be glad about it. When this happens, we're experiencing God's favor. When this happens, we're supposed to rejoice or be conscious, glad for his grace. Why? Jesus says, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Barnes' commentary says it like this. He says, for great is your reward in heaven. That is, your reward will be great in the future world. To those who suffer most, God imparts the highest rewards. Hence the crown of martyrdom has been thought to be the brightest that any of the redeemed shall wear. And hence... 
Many of the early Christians sought to become martyrs and threw themselves in the way of their persecutors that they might be put to death. They literally rejoiced and leaped for joy at the prospect of death for the sake of Jesus. Though God does not require us to seek persecution, yet all this shows that there is something in religion that's the same to stole which the world does not possess. Nothing but the consciousness of innocence and the presence of God could bear up the sufferers in the midst of these trials, the flame, and therefore kindled to consume the martyr, has also been a bright light showing the truth and power of the gospel of Jesus. So the early church, they were, they were ready, to, they were rejoicing at the fact that I'm being persecuted because of Jesus. And this is what the early church believed, and this is what the disciples believed, but somehow we've maybe gotten away from this part. The early church had heaven on their mind daily. The old-time preachers, they had heaven on their mind daily. If the Lord tarries, we'll see you tomorrow. Right? Remember those guys? Maybe you're one of those guys. I don't know if we've gotten away from it a bit or not, but we don't seem to rejoice anymore when these things happen. We mourn. We complain, we get upset, we get frustrated, frustrated. We wonder if Jesus even cares. We think that he's not fair. We cry about it. We make Facebook posts. We rant and rave and all that stuff. How dare they? Did you see what they did to this pastor? Did you see what happened here and there and all over the place? We get all upset and we complain and just go on and on and on instead of rejoicing like Jesus said. We complain, we rant, we protest, we fight. And I know we don't want to hear this, but this is what Jesus said. He said, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil things against you falsely. For my sake rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For they so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. He said, your reward is in heaven. Now we spend so much time and effort and money storing up treasures here and looking for reward here and looking for accolades here and people to say nice things about us here. When someone says something bad, well, that's not supposed to happen and we get upset about it. We miss the whole thing. Our response is supposed to be rejoicing. And yes, that sounds like the opposite of what we want to do, but that's the whole point. Our natural inclination isn't what Jesus is asking of us. That's what makes this difficult. That's what makes this a bit of a challenge. If Jesus asked us to get offended and to have a fit and to rise up and fight and get our torches and pitchforks and go after the person that said the things, we'd be no different than anyone else. But Jesus isn't calling us to be the same as the rest of the world. And yes, this is hard, but that is the point. He's not calling us to be the same as the rest of the world. The church, the word we get church from means called out. We said it before, we'll say it again. It means called out from the world, different from the world. Literally, that's what the word church means. So we can't call ourselves the church if we're going to do everything exactly the same as the world. And yes, it's hard, and I don't do it enough either. I get mad. I rant and rave to my wife or whoever seems to be in earshot. I'm tempted to write Facebook posts, but then I know you guys will read them. So I don't. Sometimes I write them out and then delete them before I post it. Never do that. This is something I need to get to. 
Before we get all like, well, what if this happens? What if someone does this to us? Blah, 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 blah. Because that's what we do. What if, right? Instead of the first of this series, Paul beheaded in Rome, Peter crucified upside down in Rome, Andrew crucified, Thomas killed by spears from four soldiers, Philip killed by a Roman official because his wife converted to Christianity, James executed by a sword in the Bible, John um, died of old age, poor John, Bartholomew flayed and beheaded, Matthew martyred, not sure how, James the son of Alphaeus was either stoned or crucified. Jude was killed with an axe. Simon the Zealot was either crucified or sawn in half. These guys went through it. And I can guarantee you that whatever someone is saying or doing to you or me, it's not as bad as what these guys faced. Amen. I've had people write me letters and emails and tell me how horrible of a Christian I am and, or a pastor I am and how I don't know, apostolic I am and how they're more than I am. I am, and all that stuff. And I reacted wrong. I didn't lash out at the person, but I didn't rejoice either. <laughs> I ranted and raved to my wife, and I feel that this as much as anyone has. Because it's a hard thing to do. In the case Matthew 5, 11, and 12 wasn't enough to convince you, Luke records the same thing also in Luke 6, 22 to 23. Luke adds a little bit extra. He says, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy. Whew, that's even more so. For behold, reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. Luke says, of course, Jesus is saying, You are blessed if they hate you. You are blessed if they separate you from them, if they cut you off, if they ignore you, if they alienate you. Has that ever happened to anyone? Some of us do it to ourselves, but sometimes people do it to us. Reproach means insult you. When they call you names, remember that when you first came to church and they called you a church boy or a Jesus freak or a holy roller or penny hopper, I think that was a thing people were throwing out there. I don't know. All the names your family calls you and all that stuff. You remember that? Did you rejoice when that happened? Did you jump for joy? Or when they tell everyone you're something you're not, you know, rejoice that day. And not only that, Luke adds a little bonus. He says, leap for joy. Woo! I almost, I almost leaped, but then I chickened out. When was the last time we had someone testify about... We'll test, just testify, but when's the last time we had someone testify about being alienated because they started following Jesus and they just started running around the church and leaping for joy? Woo! My family doesn't talk to me anymore. We don't do that. But that's what Jesus said to do. When's the last time we were excited because someone hated us for going to church? When was the last time we were happy because someone stopped talking to you when they found out you were a one God apostolic, tongue-talking, holy, rolling, born-again, heaven-bound believer in the liberating power of Jesus' name? When's the last time someone did that? It's been a while, probably. Because now we're too concerned with what people think about us. Now we have to be slick and smooth, and we have to stream all of our services Online, and we have to have everyone out by a certain time. I don't know when that happened, but I'm not against things running smoothly. You know that. 
Bible says everything needs to be done decently in order, but we become too worried about looking and sounding like everyone else. When's the last time we spoke in tongues? When's the last time we had a move of the gifts of the Spirit? When's the last time we pushed in prayer? When's the last time we were hit with a move of repentance and started to change things in our lives? When is the last time someone made fun of you because you had long hair or modest dress or because you didn't talk a certain way on the, you know, at the job or because you didn't participate in certain activities? People aren't hating and upset with us anymore because it's too hard to tell the difference between us and everyone else. And this is something we've gotten away from. And I think it's something we've let slide a little bit. And I think it starts with people. Like Jesus said, they start picking and they start hating and they start gossiping. They start persecuting. And instead of us rejoicing, instead of us turning to God, instead of us praising and worshiping Jesus, we get a little bit upset. And we start listening to that. We, we don't like to be persecuted. No one likes to be persecuted. No one likes to be hated. No one likes to have people talk about them. So we do whatever, has, whatever we have to do to get them to stop. We start easing up on some things because it's uncomfortable. And I don't like, when they say that, I don't like going to a family event and somebody saying something about me believing in the one God. So I stop talking about it. I don't like going to these things. I don't like getting a job and having to wear certain clothes or whatever and everyone looking at me because I'm dressed differently. So maybe we stop doing it because it's uncomfortable. So I think maybe we need to get back to that a little bit because we are losing our identity. We need to rejoice. Rejoice when they hate. Rejoice when they gossip. Rejoice when they persecute because that means you're doing something right. Luke 10, 19 to 20 says, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions. Nor all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not. But the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So Jesus, he tells us to rejoice when people hate or gossip or persecute and all that stuff. He tells us to do that. And then later in Luke 10, he gives us another instance of when we should rejoice. And he says to his disciples, he says, I give you power to walk on snakes and, and scorpions. I give you power over the devil. Nothing's going to hurt you. You know, that's pretty incredible. I think if he showed up and told us tonight, you know, we'd be pretty excited. We might rejoice a bit, right? We might jump up and down for that. Yes, nothing's going to hurt me. That's a natural thing to rejoice in, no? But again, Jesus doesn't ask us to do the natural thing. He says, notwithstanding in this rejoice, not don't rejoice about this thing. This is pretty incredible, but don't rejoice about it. He doesn't ask us to do the natural thing, the thing that comes easy. Instead, he says, don't rejoice about that. Don't rejoice because you have power over the devil or because spirits are under you. No, he says, instead rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Because that's what matters. That is what is important. Rejoice because you've been saved from sin. Rejoice because you've been delivered from sin. What did he say in Matthew 5 and Luke 6? He said, your reward is in Heaven. And then Luke 10, he says, your names are written in heaven. This is your reward. So according to Jesus, our response 
to it all should be to rejoice because we have been saved from sin. People hate, rejoice. Your name is written in heaven. People are talking about you, rejoice. Your name is written in heaven. People are persecuting you, rejoice. Your name is written in heaven. You have power and authority in Jesus' name. Don't focus on that part. Rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Basically, whatever your natural reaction is, don't do that. <laughs> rejoice when you don't feel like it. <coughs> John 14 and 28 Jesus said, this is near the end. Um, he's getting ready to go away. He's telling his disciples this is going to happen. Verse 28, he says, Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice, because I said I go to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Near the end of his life, Jesus is telling his, uh, nearly before he gets arrested, Jesus is telling his disciples he's going to go away. And again, their natural reaction would be, to be sad or upset because Jesus is being taken away from them. But instead, he says, if you love me, you'd rejoice. When it, like just when you don't feel like rejoicing, that's when you should. When bad things are happening, you should rejoice, I guess, according to Jesus. Whatever it is you're facing, rumors, persecution, hatred, alienation, these you know, things not going the way that you hoped and you wanted them to, Rejoice anyway. Rejoicing with Jesus is not about how we feel. Rejoicing in anything else is about how we feel, right? You get the job, you get the promotion. Woo, let's rejoice. Kids finish school for the year. We go out to eat. We rejoice. School's over for two months. And they go back to it again, but this is not in their minds. Right? We rejoice in these things naturally. But rejoicing... And Jesus is different. It's not about what we feel. It isn't dictated by what we're feeling at any given moment. That's our natural selves. Jesus tells us to rejoice when we don't want to. When things aren't going the way we want them to, do, to go. He tells us to delight in God's grace. To experience God's grace and favor. To be conscious and glad for his grace. That's what rejoice means. So that's what we should do. When you get bad news and you don't feel like it, maybe we should rejoice. When you've been hurt or in pain, feel abandoned, gossiped about, hated, rejoice. Experience God's grace and be glad about it because your name is written in heaven. And how do we know the disciples got this message? How do we know that they learned this lesson? I'm going to read you a big old chunk of scripture. Acts 5. I'm going to read it in the English Standard because it reads easier than the King James and I don't want to get tongue-tied at the moment. Acts 5, this is a story. 17. It says, But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is a party of the Sadducees and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. So the apostles, this is off, this is me talking. So the apostles um, the disciples of Jesus, they were filled with the Holy Ghost, right? And they were preaching. And the Jewish, Jewish high priest gets upset. And he and the people he was with, the Sadducees, they're full of jealousy. And they're all raging and mad at, at the, the disciples. So they arrested him and they throw them into public prison. At this time, there are three types of prisons. And you got prison number one, where you hold people that are waiting to be executed. 
Prison number two, that's where debtors go until they can pay off their debt. Prison number three, um, where people are being held into trial. And this is the kind of prison they're in. They're waiting to be tried the next day. So he gets mad and he throws them in prison. Verse 19 and 20 says, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So an angel shows up, delivers them, and says, Go to the temple and preach. Why not? They just got arrested for it. Let's do it again. <laughs> they just been delivered from prison and interestingly enough there's no record of them rejoicing here which will most likely be our natural reaction who run a prison we're free but they don't they might but it's not written that they do and so um, they go and they preach in the temple and verse 21 says when they heard this they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach so they do what they're told by the angel and now when the high priest came and those who were with him they called together the council all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We have found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. So the high priest and the council, they get together to put the apostles on trial because that's what they're going to do. And they send someone to the prison to get them, to have them brought to the place of the trial. But when they get there, the prison's locked, the guards are there, but there's no one in the cell. Because they're in the temple preaching. This stuff's amazing. The guards don't even notice. Everyone just walked out. It's great. Verse 24 says, Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, obviously. Wondering... What would this come to? And someone came and told them, look, the men you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. So, you know, the people in charge are a little bit upset. How does this happen? Heads are going to roll. Like, what's going on here? We put them in prison. Why aren't they there? And the guard's like, I don't know what happened. I was here all night. No, you weren't. They're gone. What happened? What? And they're all upset and they're, they're perplexed. And someone comes and says, hey, go to the temple preaching. Someone comes and rats them out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Those, oh, you look. Oh, they're in the temple. I thought you knew that. They're back there preaching again. So someone comes and tells them that they're in the temple preaching. Verse 26. So then the captain of the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they're afraid of being stoned by the people. So they get them, not forcefully, because, you know, they don't want to get upset everyone at the temple and they brought them and they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying we strictly charged you not to teach in this name yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us but Peter and the apostles answered we must obey God rather than men the God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. You see what happens when Peter preaches in Jesus' name? When he does something in the name of Jesus, they want to kill him. This is what Jesus was talking about. And he said, they're going to want to hurt you. They're going to hate you. Right? This is what he was talking about. Peter, 
we know if you read the Gospels, Peter isn't the smoothest guy. Peter, Peter's a little rough around the edges. Peter opens his mouth when he shouldn't. Peter says things he shouldn't say. Jesus calls him Satan once. Like Peter's not the, the smoothest speaking guy. But it's not his personality that rubs in the wrong way here. So that whole thing, that's, that's not what's happening. It wasn't his preaching style. It was the substance of his message. It was Jesus that offended him, or offended them. And that's what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples about. So they get upset, and they want to kill the apostles because of what Peter preached. Which is just amazing. Like whenever Peter gets a chance, he preaches. And they're like, he's like on trial for doing something. He's like, anyways, you need to be saved. And they all get mad at him every time. It's amazing to me. And verse 34 says, But a Pharisee in the council named um, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, Take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, um, Theodos rose up and claiming to be somebody, but a, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or undertaking is a man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. So this Pharisee, um, Gamaliel, he, he's a little bit of smarts about him. And he, he says to the high priest and the Sadducees, he says, remember when um, these people did these things? There was this guy and he rose up and when he died, there a little movement died with him, and this guy rose up, and when he died, his little movement um, scattered, and he's like, well, if, it, if it's like that, if, if what is happening right now, these apostles, if there's part of something like this, this is going to fade away, um, but if what they're saying is of God, you won't be able to do anything about it, and so they take his advice and let it go, sort of. Verse 40 says, When they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So the apostles were arrested and they were accused and jailed, delivered. They, were, they preached again. Someone reported them. They were put on trial. They preached again. The people they were preaching to wanted to kill them. They beat them and told them not to preach anymore. They let them go. That's a rough 24 hours. All in a day's work. That's what they went through. Verse 41 says, They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from the house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So after all of this is done, I read the whole thing, and after all of this is done, they rejoiced. After they were beaten. They didn't rejoice when they were delivered from the prison. They didn't rejoice when they preached and whatever, they rejoiced after they were beaten, after they were threatened, after they were warned. They rejoiced, it says, that they were counted worthy to suffer. And they kept teaching and they kept doing things for Jesus and they went house to house. And there was this spirit of rejoicing that caught hold of 
the disciples, and I think this may be something we've neglected in our culture or society. We want to rejoice when prayers are answered, and that's fine. We want to rejoice when miracles happen, and that's okay too. But Jesus said that we are supposed to rejoice when things don't look good as well. When we're hated, when we're persecuted, when we're beaten, when we're lied about. And it's something I need to work on. And I don't know if you do or not, but we need to live differently for one, and we need to rejoice when people react to that. We aren't going to be treated poorly or hated or any of those things if we live the same as anyone else. And I'm not saying that we need to look for it and go our way for it. But if we're living right and we're following Jesus and we're doing the things that he's called us to do, it's going, it's going to happen or it should happen. And if not, then maybe there's something in us that needs to change so that we are closer to Jesus so that this happens. Not that we want it to happen. Do you know what I'm saying? And all of these guys got it. James says in James 1, 2 to 4, the English Standard again, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James says, when trials come, when we're tested, when we're tempted, rejoice, because you're going to come out stronger than you went into it. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 3 to 10, he says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way with great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hungers. That's a good list. Things are going through. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. So Paul lists all of these things that are a byproduct of their ministry. All these things that happen to them. Along with all the good things that come with their ministry, there is a lot of bad things in this list. It's like the two are intertwined together. Like he didn't expect to have these great results if the price wasn't paid with the bad things. And he says, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And we like testimonies and we like praise reports. We like to get letters from the missionaries and put them on the back wall and read them and hear all the great things that are happening. But we don't get the things that they go through. The price that was paid, the losses they've endured, the things that, the, the threats they've received, the times that they had to send their, some of, them, some of the guys have had to send their families back home where it was safe. Sometimes they had to be evacuated because there were threats against them and their church and their family. We don't often hear about those things. But their great results are coming because of these other things that they're enduring. 
And if we are afraid of these other bad things happening, we're not going to be able to have the good things. We're just going to kind of float along and not really affect any change anywhere. Paul lists all these things and they go together. The imprisonments, riots, labor, sleepless nights, hunger, purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit. All these things are together to Paul. There's no separating these things. There's one, you know, they come with each other. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. This is just powerful, of course, Paul says. Just always rejoicing. If things... I don't know. If terrible things aren't happening, maybe, maybe we're not working hard enough for the kingdom. If we're not upsetting anyone, if no one's getting mad at us, I don't know. I know everything I'm saying right now can be taken the wrong way. Please don't. This is what I'm worried about. But when we advance the kingdom, the enemy's going to be a little upset about it. And this is what happens. And if it's not happening, then maybe we're not advancing the kingdom. We're working hard enough for the kingdom as we should. 2 Corinthians 12 and 10 says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities. So <laughs> Paul says. He takes pleasure in it when bad things are going on and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. If I have to go through it for Jesus, I take pleasure in it. That's what Paul says. For when I am weak, then I am strong. With Jesus, I'm strong. The weaker you make me, the more you say things, the more you pile on me, the stronger Jesus is in me, and the more of Jesus that shows. So Paul says, these guys got it. One more verse. This one sums it up simply and perfectly. Philippians 4 and 4. Rejoice. And the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. This is what we should do. This is, should be our response. Rejoice. This was a lesson that Jesus taught his disciples. And this was a lesson that we've seen they really grabbed a hold of. And they lived this lesson. They changed their world. They, they rejoiced when things didn't go the way they thought it. They, you know the way we think they should go. And it was I think it's that attitude, that not worrying about what's going to happen, not, not worrying about, you know, what are people going to say, what are people going to do? Focusing on heaven, and a reward is in heaven, and not worrying about all these other things. I think that's what really pushes it forward. Anyways. Amen. Well, I think that's enough. Is everyone okay still? Rejoice, but it was a bit of a heavy one. Which is the opposite. I probably thought it was going to go. Which is always the case with Jesus' teaching anyway. Let's, let's stand.